0: All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Just a few verses today. Um, It should be pretty quick, but I'll I'll read. Excuse my voice, too. I've been dealing with uh, cold or allergies or something. Uh, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed Him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said, were saying to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. All right, um, just to start with, what we covered a couple of weeks ago whenever we met um, was Matthew chapter 20 verses 17 through 28. And basically it covers why Jesus was entering Jerusalem. Uh, why he was going uh, to that city and it was you know, to be to serve others, uh, to be crucified, raised the third day, etc. This passage seems to deal with uh, who Jesus is. So it goes from why Jesus was entering Jerusalem to who was actually entering Jerusalem. Um, uh, I don't have it in your notes. I don't know why I wrote this, but just to kind of give perspective. Jer- Jericho is about 16 miles northeast of Jerusalem, so they're coming down uh, into Jerusalem, and it says a large crowd followed them or followed him. Um, a lot of times in Matthew it'll say crowds, uh, and I don't know why exactly it does this, other than maybe. To designate that you know the disciples are following, and then other people were following who were not. So, kind of differentiate the different types of people in that were following. So, it's crowds plural, but here uh, Matthew records it as crowd singular, which is interesting. And I think I, I think it makes sense in a minute, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and so uh, the the blind men um, cry out. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, again, I know you've heard this before, but it's probably just a a sign of respect. You know, sir, like we use sir. Uh, Have mercy on us, son of David. Um, In chapter 9, we have a similar thing to blind men where where, where we, we talked about how they cried out for mercy. They didn't specify exactly what they wanted. They just wanted mercy. And we talked about that, how it, the meaning of mercy, what that is. It's not getting what you deserve. And so, that that phrase often just strikes me that you're not saying, you know, I've earned this, I deserve this, make me better. It's just have mercy on me. I know I don't deserve better, um, but have mercy on me. Uh, That was a... Son of David is a messianic title and I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. But it's this passage that Matthew is sharing is similar to the uh, Matthew chapter 9 verses 27 through 31 and it's like Matthew is reminding about the the person of Jesus Christ um, because we have to remember that Matthew writing this he's writing it to primarily Jewish audience and we'll get into this later and we've had had it to some extent how Jesus is, is saying woe to you scribes and Pharisees and, and woe he proclaims all these woes uh, and then he, uh, it's actually coming up in the next couple of chapters Matthew seems to really really uh, bear, bear into the religious establishment of that day and I think that overall that that's what this is doing too uh, because of the way Matthew talks about some things um <clears throat> So it's like Matthew is reminding about how Jesus is uh, interacting with those who need the most help. There's a quote uh, from a a commentary I was reading. I thought it was good. It says, Matthew perhaps intends to emphasize that Jesus' healing ministry has been an exercise of his role as the messianic son of David and has been recognized as such by, among others, the physically blind but spiritually insightful uh, Jesus being the Messiah, uh, what this is saying is Jesus being the Messiah. Even though physically it may appear that they don't have the ability to see that, and they, they're limited, and they can't do things for themselves or or as well as other people on the outside, um, even without seeing physically, they can see that Jesus is the Messiah. And so when they say Son of David, these imagine two blind people screaming out obnoxiously as the whole crowd is following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem uh, to fulfill his mission. And they're screaming out, Son of David. That phrase would resonate in those people's ears because they're going to worship. Mm-hmm. These are Jewish people going to worship mm-hmm. uh, in the Passover like they're supposed to. And so one of the passages that I, I don't know if I, I guess I didn't put it in yours, but it's in Second Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17. Um, this is a passage referring to to David. Um, It says, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, this is God speaking uh, in a vision to David or a, a prophecy to David. I will raise up your descendant after you. It's singular, descendant after you, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, that specific part is not about Jesus, I will correct him uh, with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Um, Indirectly about Jesus, not that he commits sin, but that the sin is on him. And God uh, in Isaiah being satisfied to punish Jesus for the sins of, of many one of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and all his visions, So Nathan spoke to David. Um, And so God giving this prophecy through Nathan to David, um, the Jewish people would have known this very well, expecting David to rule forever. And then we know in the Book of Hebrews how it explains that David is dead and buried in a grave. So we know it's not talking about David specifically, uh, but about Christ. And so when these blind men are screaming out "Son of David," uh, they're enlightening, if you will, those people about this prophecy that Jesus is the one whose throne will endure forever. Uh, so it's a that's a big deal. Uh, so that's the blind men. Anything, maybe, want to say anything about us about that? Comments, questions? Uh, so that's about the blind men. The crowd uh, in those verses, like I said, the crowd is singular, um, and I think it has to do with the crowd, the disciples being a part of the crowd uh, mm-hmm. rather than being different than them. And, and the reason I say this is because the way the crowd responds in verse 31 the crowd singular sternly told them to be quiet but they cried out all the more mm-hmm. we've seen time and again how the disciples were doing that um we saw it in uh Matthew chapter 19 verse 13 where the children were trying to come to Jesus and the disciples were the ones who said no stop uh the Canaanite woman screaming out after Jesus the disciples were the ones that said no stop in 1523 uh so I think that's part of the reason Matthew records that the way it is. Uh, something else that, that struck me was the word sternly. Uh, it means to express strong disapproval, disapproval of someone, rebuke, reprove, censure, also speak seriously, seriously, warn in order to prevent an action or bring one to an end. Um, I don't think the crowd was necessarily listening to what they were saying as keenly as they probably should have because of the proclamation of the son of david i think they were hearing noise it was annoying maybe it was like you don't know who jesus is like stop acting a fool you know show some respect for jesus it could have been that but they basically just wanted him to, to be quiet um so when jesus stops and calls them what does that do to that situation, if the crowd is just telling, them, "Be quiet." Basically, what you're saying is not important. It doesn't need to be addressed. You need just need to be quiet. But when Jesus stops and calls them to Him, what does that do to their message and those people? I mean, it invalidates the crowd for sure. And then the crowd starts paying attention because Jesus starts paying attention. Yeah. I'm hush. Can I no. right. Yeah. I mean, if if. The one you're following on the road to Jerusalem stops and considers it important that I want to hear it again. I mean even if they weren't listening to what they were saying, they were just annoyed by the message um, like they're probably wondering like, why did jesus what was it about what they said that Jesus wants to talk to them and address them what it so it you know it draws attention to what they said and their message um and so what were they crying out for Jesus, the son of David, to do? Before that, they were just crying out for mercy, right? And so Jesus, I'm sure he knows what they want and what they need, because he's done it before uh, in the previous situation. But it's, Jesus wants them to articulate their desire. like, What exactly do you want me to do? Um... And so, if they articulate their desire beyond asking for mercy, what do you wish for me to do for you? Um, what does that do for the situation, for the people asking for mercy? What does it do? If Jesus is asking, what is it that you want me to do for you? Would you, would you really want our articulate request? Would you really? Yeah. What does it say about what they believe about Jesus? He can do it. Yeah. What do they believe he can do? What is it? They've already said he's a son of David. What is it that they want the son of David to do? Like the prophecies about him ruling forever and being the king, etc. So it's interesting that they would say, "Son of David, have mercy on us." What is it that you want the Son of David to do for you? Your life better, your physical life better, I guess. Yeah. But as they're they're crying out, "Son of David," it, not only physical life, but it's a reflection on who they believe he is and what he can do. Um, Yeah, because even if they believe that Jesus, and I don't want to ascribe too much spirituality to them, but if they ascribe to Jesus as being the son of David, how long do they believe his throne is going to last? Forever. So there's something about this Jesus that is not like other people. Not only can he heal physically, but I'm ascribing to him that he is going to endure forever. Um, so yeah, that message, I think Jesus stopping the crowd and hearing that and asking for specificity. What is it that you want me to do for you? I think you're right. It, it invalidates the crowd, but validates the message that the blind people are saying. Good. Uh, anything else? Anything else? All right. So, what does Jesus do? Uh, in verse, verse thirty-four, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. This is the not the first time that Matthew has said stuff like this, right? Matthew talks about uh, Jesus's compassion, like in Matthew fourteen, fourteen and fifteen, thirty-two, um, and even. He notes Jesus' touch in Matthew nine twenty-seven through 31 with the other blind men. So, if Matthew is writing a gospel primarily to um, Jewish people, what do you think the significance of noting repeatedly Jesus' Jesus's compassion and Jesus' touch in dealing with these people? If you're a Jewish person growing up... I mean, your view of God is very severe. There's not much for I mean, I would, I don't know, maybe a but I mean, I would imagine, you know, going through Deuteronomy, numbers and things like that, the law, there's not much, um, uh, I guess, point. Like, it's there, obviously. It's very, you know, training and everything, but it's usually not. It's It's not accessible. Also, the cleanliness thing, right? Mm I don't know if blind people are included in it. Yeah? Yeah, that's a thing. I was just thinking. If he touched them or what, you know, I don't think why they're thing, was unprofitable. Well, it's seen as probably a, a, a symptom of sin because you remember, God often blessed physical, gave physical blessings as a sign of spiritual blessings. Like, if you do this, I will do this in the Old Testament. It's like an external sign of blessings. So if you have something wrong with you, there's some kind of curse or something wrong with are you. You're sinning. You're living in sin, you know, something is the way it was perceived. Uh, so you can't touch people who were sinners mm-hmm. and tax collectors. Uh, yeah, and we'll get into this, I think, more. I don't think we've done it so far. I apologize if we have, but, uh, well, I think we have. I just can't remember where it was, how Jesus was giving woes to those who were responsible to teach and to open up the kingdom of heaven I think it's Matthew chapter 16 um, when we talked about Jesus giving Peter the keys to heaven and hell Um, the key being that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and whereas the other religious teachers of the day are shutting up heaven uh, by putting all these rules and regulations on everybody and not having compassion um Jesus, uh, we did this probably months ago. How Jesus looked at uh, the the field and had compassion because there, there were all the sheep were scattered, as sheep having no shepherd, and like that kind of compassion, uh, not wanting the people to be in darkness, but wanting to show that show the light and that He is the light, and His kindness and compassion that He had for those who were destitute and had no hope outside of Him. Uh, it, it's stark contrast that a, the love a shepherd for, should have for his sheep versus what the Pharisees mm-hmm. and the Sadducees actually held. They were proud of their position mm-hmm. and their knowledge of Scripture, rather than having the compassion uh, to see people saved and come to the light. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Matthew records stuff like that, it, it seems like it's like not important. Um, but it's repetitive, and if you remember the audience that he's speaking to primarily, to say, hey, look, this is how a shepherd should look. One with compassion. One not afraid to come down and touch the unclean. Um, you know, worry about soiling himself when these people desperately need his help and his help alone. Mm-hmm. And so it's totally different from the religious leaders that these people had experienced up to this point. Yeah, Ronnie, even the rich young readers said that too, because Matthew doesn't report it, but Mark says, and as he walked away, he loved him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. A guy that's about to reject him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. <coughs> so yeah, that's something that's overwhelming about Christ. Yeah. Um, it's it's easy to miss in the, in the macro story, but even the macro story is all about his compassion, how he chose as a second person of the Trinity to become a part of, Of his creation, the Creator became a part of his creation. Who would do that? Nobody would do that, humanly speaking, but Jesus has done that. Uh, And these micro expressions of His compassion for His uh, people—it's just (coughs) overwhelming. It's amazing, just to think that the God Man can be moved with pity. Yeah, He can have compassion. He can be moved. In verse 34, continuing, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Uh, the word for regained—does anybody's uh, passage transfer that? Translate that word any differently? Recovered. Regained? What was it? Recovered. Recovered. It received. Received. <coughs> okay, I think all of those, even though <coughs> that says something different than like regained, means they had it before and then. And they lost it and I got it again. Receive can be just a brand new time. Uh, the word in Greek could be translated either way. Uh, the Greek dictionary that I use called a lexicon uh, says to gain sight, whether for the first time or again, uh, regain sight or gain sight. There's some the <coughs> ambiguity there. It's a compound word. Uh, blepo means I see. Um, and Ana is again. Again I see. Ana blepo. But whenever you put them together, the force of the again loses its, uh, its strength. So it doesn't necessarily work like a typical compound word. Uh, it becomes a new word, has its own meaning. Um, but according to the book that I read, uh, well, actually the lexicon, the full force of ana, which means again, uh, is not so clear. But quite probably in the following passage, it does mean To regain the sight. Um, But regardless, um, I think ambiguity is there for a reason. Because, yeah, they're regaining their physical sight, but what else did they see? Uh, They gained their sight seeing that Jesus is the Son of David. Uh, So I think that's the the big punch. Um, And Matthew writes that, and they followed him. Uh, I think that's big and important too. It may or may not mean that they became disciples. But we'll cover this next time, Lord willing. If you look at verse 20, chapter 21, verse 9, how the crowd seemed to respond later to their their testimony of Jesus being the Son of David. Uh, how most of the crowd went ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So it's interesting. It's got to be the same crowd. Mm -hmm. The disciples ended up going on somewhere else to do something else. It says crowds. But how the crowds begin echoing what the blind men were saying before. Mm -hmm. Psalm David. So I thought that was really cool how their testimony can have an impact.